as Linda comes to read the scripture this morning, um, again, we're talking about evaluation today, this tenth of the essentials. And see if you can find those kind of bullet points in the midst of this scripture that Paul writes to the church at Corinth and what these might have to do with us as we explore evaluation today. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children, open wide your hearts also. Thanks be to God. The gospel scripture this morning is very familiar to us. It is that story of Jesus calming the storm. But again, we're in a time of evaluation, exploring that this morning. What was it that happened on that day? What caused Jesus to use the words he used? And might this be a part of the evaluation for us? If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love this story, but there, there's, there's so much that's troublesome in it, this story of Jesus calming the storm. I, I, again, I kind of did an interview and a, a, a kind of interaction with, uh, with First Service this morning. And, but I want to share, I mean, some of, the, some of the issues in this story that are really appropriate for us today. 
Part of the issue is we forget sometimes who was in the boat that day. Remember who was in the boat? Okay, and first service, the children all said Jesus, because Jesus is always the right answer when you ask any question in the church. But then one of the younger ones said, oh, but the disciples, and yes, the disciples were there. And the next question was, what did a quarter of those disciples do for a living? They were fishermen. What, they never had been through a storm at sea before? What was this about? Yeah, okay, so there's one issue. The, the other issue is we're talking like hurricane-force winds. And I, I've shared with you before that my, my son is a ship's captain, and now he drives tugboats and is getting ready to move to the East Coast where he's going to do it over there where we think the Pacific has storms. I can't wait. But he was the kind of guy, and I've shared this once before, that you know he would go through the Bering Sea driving this boat, and he would stick his cell phone out the window, you know, his one hand on the wheel, I hope. But, but Dad, you've got to hear this wave crashing over the front. Oh, here's a 30-footer, and then, oh, here's a 40-footer. It's like, what, you think I really want to hear this? And imagine you, you know, being raised up 40 feet, then dropped another 40 feet in, in this, what at that point was not a huge ship. So how in the world does someone sleep through that? And let's remember, these are not cruise ships. This is a small boat, probably 20 feet long, that does not have a cabin. Now, you remember the description of the story? The waves are literally crashing over and filling up this boat. How in the world does anyone sleep through that? You ready for the answer that came out of first service? One of the children said, well, he had a pillow. <laughs> okay, there's that. <laughs> but then what happens is the, the disciples panic and they come back and you, know, you can just see, I have this vision of Peter. I used to tell this story in, in kind of youth group stuff and you know, here's huge Peter towering over Jesus saying, screaming, nobody sleeps in a storm. And Jesus opening one holy eye and looking up and finally stands up, looks directly at Peter and the rest of the disciples as they are panicked and looks at them and says, calm or peace, be still. And the voice that he brings is so incredibly powerful that in the midst of that, even the waves go down and the sky clears. And then he says to them, what, you, you have no faith? Why is it that you do not trust and believe? And then they ask the similar question, who in the world is this? That he could even command the wind and the waves to obey him. It's such a great story. And I think it has everything to do with what we're dealing with this morning. I want to remind you that, again, over the last nine weeks, we've dealt with these 10 essentials, this research that we did in Southern California with a group of business folks and, and pastors and, and a variety of other uh, social anthropologists and others trying to figure out what are truly the essentials of a church that is healthy and vibrant. And remember, we talked about the role of the pastor, and we talked about a plan for outreach and evangelism. We talked about uh, mission work that engages everyone in the church at every age. 
We talked about the importance of a statement of mission and how that is to drive us and surround us with everything that we do. Last week, remember, I, I talked about a process by which decision-making can happen and went back to the book of Nehemiah and talked at length about the book of Nehemiah and how that book in itself gives us a much clearer understanding of how we make decisions as a church. And I want to remind you just briefly one more time what that was about, particularly as you sit in this sanctuary this morning. You remember, Nehemiah got a call. I don't mean call, I mean call. Of God to say, my city is in trouble. And he heard that call and immediately went into a time of prayer. He stopped for a moment and began to pray. Then he looked around and he began to ask for help and he communicated the needs that he had very clearly. And he was given the help that he needed and he went off to Jerusalem and on one dark night singularly rode his horse out and began to inspect the walls that had been completely torn apart, completely torn down. And when his horse couldn't go any farther, he went on foot. Whatever was needed for that inspection, he took it on. Once he was done, he had his list of what needed to be done. And so what he did then is he went out and he recruited leaders and then others who could do that work of rebuilding the wall. And then about halfway through the wall, what they found was there were, there were bickering and griping and enemies who were coming in. And so he stopped the work and he took a step back and examined again, not just the construction, but what was going on in the relationships within the rebuilding. And they centered themselves one more time on prayer and worship and being together as the community. And then, once that was done, appropriately done, they went back to work and they completed their work in a phenomenal way and completely rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and then went to work on what that meant for them as the people of God. And then other work came. But an incredible process by which this work was done. But where I want to go this morning is the evaluation piece, both by Jesus in the boat that day and by Nehemiah, as he stood and looked again at the walls in need of repair. Many of you are aware that I've been on a diet now for about three months. Um, I'm not going to go into the details of that, other than one of the ways that, that accomplished some of that is I had a partner in the midst of that, one to whom I would call and turn for accountability, and I will now identify that person since he's not here this morning. <laughs> you can ask him. It's Brant Henshaw. And I would call Brant almost every week and say, this is my goal for the week. And I would call Brant and say, I failed miserably this week. But there was a trust there, and there continues to be a trust there that, that, uh, that I would call and be honest, and he would give me those voices of encouragement. Many of you have been those voices of encouragement as well. And so continuing on this process, this, I've got a goal now set for the end of July. Uh, it's a challenging goal. I'm going to get there, though. What is it about diets? What is it about this vision that we have that we set out there, right? Because we know, we, we know what we want to look like, right? We know that there's no question that by, by the end of the diet, we want to 
be able to be on the cover of GQ magazine. <laughs> and so we, we set this big goal that I'm going to lose, you know, that we're going to lose 50 pounds or 100 pounds or 20 pounds or whatever amount of pounds there are. And it's an exciting goal and I, I can't wait to look like this. And you know what? We do exactly the same thing in churches. We set these huge, hairy, audacious goals knowing that what we really want is for this sanctuary to be filled for 15 services every Sunday. Please no. (laughs) But we set these huge goals. And what invariably happens is we forget one key element in the midst of setting those goals. Now, before I get there, setting goals is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's incredible. It helps us feel alive when we can dream about what we're going to become. But the issue in most churches is the goals get set. But where we fail is those small incremental steps that are going to get us there. And having some kind of process that's going to allow us to check out those mile markers that we have made this step along the way. Then, then, dun, 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 then the storm hits. And when the storm hits, everything backs off because none of us are comfortable in living in a stormy environment. And like the disciples in the boat that day, we panic. And whatever that goal had been disappears. And now we need to deal with the here and the now. We have set some goals as a church. And part of what we're exploring on those 10 essentials are what does that mean for us as a church? We've been pretty comfortable. We've been together for a year. Some of the storms that you have lived through, even in the last four years, is the changeover of three pastors. David left. Rody came and left. And now you got the new guy. So now Brad's here. At least we've been together a year. I'll come back to that in just a minute. It's been a stormy time. Then, in the midst of all that, last Monday happened. And you know what happened last Monday? The sanctuary got rearranged. And it's been an interesting process process since last Monday. What I want to tell you about last Monday, as we look at evaluation, is that last Monday was one of the most incredibly powerful times that I have ever had as a pastor in a church. 21 people gathered in this space last Monday evening. I expected three or four. Shannon, I don't know how many you expected. I didn't expect 10 or 12. Throughout the evening, 21 people came in and engaged in this process. We worked hard together. We dreamt together. We talked theology together. We argued together. We disagreed together. You know, should the praise team really, should all this stuff be left up every Sunday? Should the table be up here instead of down here? 
What about the small table? Should the piano be over here, and should the choir necessarily end up over here? And then came the incredible idea that this space right here shouldn't be empty. For those of you that have not been here before, normally this little triangle right here, not quite this big, is empty. Maybe there should be chairs here. Oh, but what about the center aisle? Shouldn't we have a center aisle? And at one point, the baptismal font, which is kind of tucked in up here, was back there so that you saw it when you came in. But here's the key. In the midst of all of that, at the end of the day, this was formed, but nobody hated each other. Matter of fact, I will tell you, nobody even put each other down, and nobody walked out of here upset or frustrated. I went home and said to Dorothy immediately, this was one of the most beautiful times of Christian community that I have ever seen. In the midst of that, all of the energy and, and discussion and disagreement and agreement that came out of that was absolutely beautiful. Then came Tuesday. <laughs> On Tuesday, however... <laughs> On Tuesday, I got the word back from a variety of people and heard statements like this. And by the way, to preface this, there is a huge difference between disagreement and negativity. And you say that to you. There's a huge difference between disagreement and negativity. See if you can pick out some of that. These are direct quotes. Why can't he just be satisfied with what we have? Okay. Does he have any idea how much what he is talking about will cost? We can't afford it. Among my favorites, I won't be a part of a church where there is an altar that represents blood sacrifice. I have no idea. I'll come back to that. That's sermon for next week. Among my favorites, I even heard, albeit just once, who does he think he is to rearrange our sanctuary without our approval? Disagreement or negativity? At the same time, I heard these words. Way to go. It's about time. I can't wait to play with this. What an adventure. Or even, what a wondrous time we're in. Those kinds of things. But the final statement I heard was one of my favorites. It's always the pastor who is responsible for everything that happens in a church. It's his fault. <laughs> Would you do me a favor? Just, just pull it out. Would you? <laughs> just pull it out. These are amazing times. And no matter what kind of changes happen in a church, we have to come to terms with how we deal with it. And I want to talk about that just briefly. What we heard at conference from Dr. Diana Butler-Bass, and, and she is one of the most powerful voices in the midst of the church today. Uh, because she combines her understanding of theology, 
her understanding of sociology, her understanding of politics, and her understanding of church, church growth, church function, and church dysfunction. And she's a journalist. And what she brought to us was we can no longer afford and really terrific, tremendously have not been able to be afford to do church the way that we have done it before. I'm going to talk in September more about some of this, but, but just to understand that we can't afford what I've heard in the last week. We need to come to terms with the difference in the midst of the storms, the difference between negativity and disagreement, and how we come together appropriately to disagree or to agree or to live through these times. And Paul helps us here. Paul wrote the words that Linda spoke almost 2,000 years ago, and yet we need to hear them again today. I hankered back for a few minutes on a year ago, and I remember my first Sunday with you. I remember the first sermon series with you, and the question that I ask you every Sunday in that series over seven weeks was, is this really a place that represents the sign on Newport Way? Is this really a place where grace happens? And that's something we continue to need to understand and ask. Is this a place where grace happens? What Paul was responding to to that church in Corinth was muttering and, and negativity and power struggles and all those kinds of things. But what Paul did better than almost anyone in history, the history of the church, is Paul knew how to evaluate. And Paul would evaluate without apology and continually put out things like 1 Corinthians 13 as a point of evaluation for every church. Love, change, church, discussions, is patient and kind. It is not boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not delight in its own way, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love, which is what is to center us, Love is what we need. It's amazing. So in these times, what we have to do is be an abnormal church. And I'm challenging us to do that. To get there, again, I want to just remind us of a couple things. And again, had some amazing conversations with David Tinney. And was reminded again that in the midst of this time, and particularly for Aldersgate, I'm not David Tinney. And I'm not saying that in any defensive way at all. I am not David Tinney. What David brings to the table is an incredible ability to cast a vision for a congregation and then begin to try and move folks toward that vision. My leadership style is we create the vision as a body. Together we have a vision task force that is working on that right now. They will then come back to the whole body and present what they found and together we will create a vision for the future. I don't have a vision for Aldersgate. Yet. Yet. We haven't done enough work around it yet. I also recognize clearly, and again this morning with the children, I'm not Rody Rowe. No one does a children's sermon like Rody. 
It is one of the most gifted, beautiful people when it comes to children. But he's also gifted and beautiful around what we are as spiritual human beings and around what is specifically needed in worship. What you need to hear from me in the midst of this time is I'm not going to direct what we do in worship. Shannon and I meet a lot and talk about this. What drives her crazy, and you can ask her, is I will continually come back and say, well, what do you think about this? I believe that what needs to happen in this room, there are some liturgical pieces that need to happen. My job as your spiritual leader is to provide something in this time on Sunday mornings that will allow you to worship more readily and in deeper, engaging ways. That's how I view this. What I ask is permission to play and that this become a time of exploration, even playing together, experimenting together, figuring it out. I don't want this <laughs> on a Sunday morning that's this spread out needs to come over because if you remember last week I talked about the importance of the table. And oh, by the way, that table to me doesn't represent blood sacrifice. You'll hear more about that next week. But isn't this a time where we can play and create something that is going to engage all of us, at least most of us, in ways that allow us to go instantly deeper as soon as we walk in to the sanctuary? Why am I saying all this? Because in a time of evaluation, we have to understand who is at the center of this. And it has to be God. Everything we do has to have God at its center. And so here's what I want to say to you in the midst of transitional time. You ready? Three words. Peace, be still. <laughs> and I mean it. I do not expect that you trust me yet. Trust is something that is gained over time. You still don't know me. But I'm asking you to trust this process and trust that in the midst of this time, every single one of your voices will be heard. The covenant that I ask of you is this, not negativity. Disagree, fine. Disagree. Give opinions. Don't mutter. Don't bicker. Don't only communicate with the closest friends in the parking lot. Bring it back here. Your voice is essential in the midst of this time. Jesus defined peace this way, and I'll close with this thought. When I say peace, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. In other words, it is available to us today. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then Paul reiterated it in his own words. As God's fellow workers, do you hear this language? And I witnessed this on Monday evening. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, share it. 
we commend ourselves, each one of us, as ministers of God. You are a minister of God. As ministers of God in every way. We did this, he says, or we can say we do this with great endurance through problems and disasters, storms and stressful situations. We serve with the Holy Spirit with genuine love of telling the truth in God's love and with God at the center. And then he closed with these words, and you heard them from Linda. Now open your hearts wide as well. This is a time of evaluation, and we're going to do this with excellence. But what will prevent it is what we're about right now. We're going to shift, and I'm going to ask you to take out your bulletins. Because in your bulletins is a time of confession. And we don't do confession very often in the midst of a United Methodist Church. But we need to do it a little more often. We need to. I want to take a moment to prepare for this. And what I'm asking you to do is to take this seriously. That we commit ourselves to what you're going to do. Now, what I want to do is... One of the things I couldn't stand growing up in a time where confession was every Sunday is not knowing what I was confessing about. So I want you to read this for a second before we say it out loud. Take a moment to read. Again... Evaluation is a part of our own growth, self-evaluation. And what confession does is open up the opportunity for something new in us. Take a moment to read. Will you pray this with me together? God of grace and glory, we confess that we sometimes get caught up in a singular aspect of our lives and forget about you. It is so easy to focus on hardships and lose sight of faith. Uncomfortable, we turn away from injustices that are personal to others, rather than living out your call to us to intervene and advocate for justice. We hear your call, God, then become distracted by obligation, crisis, and new ideas. We recognize our shortcomings and wallow in our guilt rather than restore our commitment to sharing your peace and grace in the world. We ask you, Divine Spirit, to help us stay focused on your call and leading. Help us maintain trust in you through all of our ups and downs. Lead us, God, in your way in the way everlasting. Take a moment to see where this fits for you, where you need help, where you need a new start, and where as a church we need the same. Sisters and brothers in Christ, hear this good news. Our God is bigger than any storm we experience. God's love extends to all And God remains steadfast, faithful, and filled with grace. May we be that way as well. In God's care and grace, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah.